Welcome to the Thinklings Podcast, a conversation where good thoughts help renew the mind with the Word of God. I'm Charlie Carter, and I'm here with Tim Little and Andy Stearns. Let's jump into the conversation. Welcome to the Thinklings Podcast. This is our summer out of left field. We're going to do things a little bit different this summer. We're going to have our same stuff. We're going to have a book. We're going to talk about the Word. But it's going to be a little different. So have you ever eaten the same thing over and over and over again? Charlie, Mm. do you know what that's like? Tim, do you know what that's like? Yes. And what happens? I know what I like and I like what I know. (laughs) Tim, no one's surprised about that. Not at all. (laughs) But sometimes when you've eaten the same thing over and over, you just got to spice it up and change it up a little. Add a little salt. Got to spice it up. Maybe some sugar, maybe some spice. I know. So this summer, we're going to swap around the roles on the podcast. That's why I'm opening it up. And uh, so we're going to have a book we're going to talk about, but it's going to be just one book, and then we'll have a devotional thought from the Word. So how are you guys doing today? Good. I'm quite good. Quite well. I'm well and good. Wow. May, we're in the middle of May now, so I am teaching my Hebrew Exegesis 3 class this week. We're having a great time in Isaiah. Yeah, I'm actually doing an apologetics module this week. So we're talking apologetics. We have three students this time. So it is three. Yeah, really exciting. So my Baptist history last week was super high, like 22 students, and apologetics was only three. And so it's it's a little bit different to have a conversation with three people. It's very familiar feeling, I would say. Mm. Mm. I have two. Two. <laughs> and an audit. So three. But. That's good. Well, anyways, so um, as always. Well, oh no, no, I was getting there. I was just—I thought you forgot. It is so, so bizarro. No, I was going to say it's like a bizarro world right here. But yeah, as always, we have some thinklings business to tend to. Books and business. Let's talk about some books. That was so <laughs> weird. Did I sound like Tim? No, not even a little bit. You had to go like really. Oh, that was good, Charlie. Two points. You got to get really low there because he kind of goes books and business. Like he's got a rock in his mouth or a. A rock in his mouth? Like He's got rocks in his mouth? All right, so Tim, or no, Charlie, tell us about what book did you bring this week for us to talk about? Yeah, so Summer in Left Field. So I'm trying to bring some titles that I normally wouldn't read. You know, I think it's good to get like a palate cleanse sometimes, right? I love the food analogies. And so a lot of my reading is theological, it's ministerial, discipleship, uh, all of that type of stuff. And so this is way, way, way out in left field. Let me tell you what this book is. It's written by Max Brooks in 2011. Max Brooks, yes, that same Max Brooks who wrote the Zombie Survival Guide. He followed that up with World War Z. You might know the uh, uh, Brad Pitt World War Z movie that came out in 2013, which I have not seen. Uh, So I had a friend uh, recommend, oh, you should read World War Z. And so, okay, I'll read uh, I'll read World War Z. And uh, very different from my normal reading tastes. Okay, like That's even... So very different. Even the really fiction. A, is that really a palate cleanse? <laughs> it's or, like a palate poison. Or, yeah, that's what I was wondering. It's more um, of a defilement. It's a strong contrast, Tim. If the that... person who let me this book listens to this, <laughs> I'm sorry, you're a great person. But yeah, this is kind of a trashy book. Anyway, so... <laughs> It's not trashy. Okay, here's what I'll say is it's it's interesting in our modern culture how these types of genres become like they have like a cult following to them. 
you know, and it's interesting, like a cult and it's a cult, you know, like zombie stuff. You're right. Uh, but like a cult, a cult following and uh, become very popular, even like a, a, a literature classic, like Pride and Prejudice. Also, in the wave of this zombie theme in the early oh, yeah. 2000s, there's Pride and Prejudice in zombies. Like, that's a thing. That's a thing. And uh, I have seen that movie, ironically enough. Um, there's a really good gif from that where, anyways. Yes. I just... So let me, let me talk about the book for a second. Never seen the movie, but the gif is great. So let me, let me give, I'll just say, obviously parents, you just don't want to just throw a book like this to any of your kids. It's interesting though, if you can come at it from a position of discernment and think through the worldviews that are being presented to you, especially about, uh, in 2011, what happens? A worldwide pandemic happens where people get infected and turn into zombies and the way that the the way that the story unfolds is it's not like a narrative proper where it's like you start off with some characters and you progress chronologically. It's written as a reporter after the whole infestation has happened and they've come through it. He's now interviewing like key people from from the whole pandemic of it. So it's like a a, 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 oh. like a, a history hmm. he's putting together. He's compiling a history of the war. And so you have like, it's, it does track chronologically. Like he's interviewing people like, well, how did it start in, in your country? And well, what did you do? And then like, when did it come to you? And then like, okay, how did you fight it? Like, what did we do with it? And then like the aftermath, like now what are we doing? Like kind of return to society. And so in that sense, it's, it's a very interesting way to tell a story. So I'll give the author credit. Like that was, that was intriguing right from the start because it's not just your run-of-the-mill story. It's very, like you're, you're catching like little episodes of, of a greater thing, like from a, it's almost like a news reporter compiling a report on what happened. So I thought that was very interesting. What came up in multiple of the quote-unquote interviews throughout the story is it's like a view of humanity. Like what is humanity? Like is life sacred? And it's interesting how there's in this dark, like everybody's dying, like everybody's like being infected. Like there's the governments who are trying to like contain this. And how are they doing that? Like it pretty much just like leave people for dead. Like they're gone. We can't save them. And I, I was waiting for a turn in the story to, to hit where it was like, oh, we have like a way to, to solve the problem. Like we can heal these people. Some kind of hope. Some kind of hope. And guess what the hope is? What? Kill them all. Oh, that's the hope. Oh, it's extermination. Yes. Wow. There isn't a hope of like a vaccine. There isn't the hope of like, you know, it's it's like you survived, we kill the rest, and it's like, okay, now we're, we try to rebuild society. It, it, it's a very interesting, if you could put it together, like it's worldview of what humanity is. And then again, like where's the hope? Mm -hmm. Where's hmm. the hope? And the hope is very human centered. And uh, so I just, I probably have to read it again slowly and think through the statements that are being made, but it does present a very interesting, I think, secular, modern view of humanity. Mm. And, uh, and so if you're wanting to read something out in left field. Do we even want to recommend something like I don't, this? I don't really want to recommend it. But I do think there's a little value in maybe uh -huh. thinking it through. But, you know, could you get someone to think through these worldview issues by reading a zombie book? 
Yes. Could you get them to think it through by reading like pagans and Christians? Mm -hmm. Well, there are some people that you might not be able to get to read pagans and Christians. So maybe you're like, hey, read this. And here's what I want you to think about when you read this, you know, but obviously you have to be really careful with who you give a book to. So I, I don't know if I can actually recommend it. I'm just going to, maybe we just lay a blanket caveat over left field books yeah. is that we're not recommending any of them. Unless yeah. we express and say we yeah. are. But, yeah. and so cause I don't, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want a parent to be like, Charlie recommended world war Z on the podcast <laughs> and my son bought it. And dang. You know, like I, I don't want that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I do think that there is, I, I would say that it, it challenged me to think through and, and discern like what, what worldviews are present. And then mm. even tying it to our modern culture, you know, we've come through a pandemic, a worldwide pandemic where governments started doing things and saying things sometimes maybe deceitfully and harmfully. And, yeah, that's true. Um, and it's actually interesting how in world war Z they came out with these drugs that were supposed to keep you from getting infected. And it like, it's a whole sham and they knew it was not a real no. uh, antidote or a real, yeah. What am I, what's the word I'm looking for? Vaccine. They, they knew it wasn't a real vaccine. <laughs> Horrendous. But they still, but they still <laughs> sold it because they wanted to make money off. So of it. it was a booster. Stop yeah, lots it. of booster shots. Come <laughs> yeah. on. And so it's, 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 you can't, you can't read through it and not catch the, the ties. And this sure. is 2011. Yeah. It was well before the well yeah, before. COVID. And so it's just interesting to read it in hindsight, uh -huh. uh, coming through COVID. But anyway, so that, there's my book. No recommendation. Can I ask some questions about it? I got yeah. two questions for you. So in the, is it a horror book? Is it horror? Is that, or is it more just sci-fi? It's definitely, it definitely has vulgarity to it. Uh, language <laughs> depiction of, of like killing and death okay. and, and things. So that's again, like very careful, very like, careful, very violent. Um, okay. You know, I mean, I think you can read it with discernment, but there are, are things there. Um, okay. but you know, I remember last summer I talked about uh, crow Jeremiah killer. Johnson, the crow killer. Guess what? Guess where he gets his nickname from? He cut out yeah. livers of living people and ate them. So, so, so here's my question then, <laughs> and maybe we don't want to talk about this now, but for like a violence horror type genre, why do you think that appeals in our culture today? Like, what is the appeal? Do you have any thoughts on that? If you don't, we'll just move on. Uh, <laughs> you reap what you sow. Okay. Okay. You sow to the wind, you reap the whirlwind to use a couple of, uh, scriptural okay. statements. I, I just think it's, you know, uh, I actually had a conversation with Josh Boyd about this at lunch a mm -hmm. few, like maybe a month or two ago. And interesting, like where that draw comes from. He, he'd be a great person to talk to about that. We should do that. Okay. Cause I have um, some thoughts, but it's just, I've never liked horror movies, but then I meet people who like them. And it always is intriguing to me. Like, why are you so drawn to that? I like dystopian. I find that fascinating, mm -hmm. but not like really this, this like horror. otherworldly horror. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. Yeah. And then my second question is when you're reading a book like that, do you have discernment questions you're asking? Cause you, you were talking mm -hmm. about using discernment. Are there certain questions you're thinking to yourself as I read this, I want to know this or this or this, if you're not prepared, we can move on. Um, so like, do I specifically try to mm -hmm. guide my own reading? Yeah, or even in that book, what were the worldview questions, or the, what were the things you wanted to know to find the worldview or discern? Yeah, so it? I think I think for World War Z, and I think you could apply this. I mean, we we've already discussed it. Uh, anthropology, what does this say about humanity? Okay, is it biblical anthropology? Like, are we are we exalting the right things about a a man made in the image of God, or not? 
And it's very clear that at certain times in the story, I don't want to give things away. Someone's going to read it, but you know, yeah. Um, there, there are actions that the government takes like, like abolition of man is, is there virtue in self-sacrificial death that is honorable to Mm. die for other people? Now, what happens if you are going to make that sacrifice and know you're going to lose the war anyway? Mm. Is it still virtuous to do it or knowing that there's no hope? Yep. Do we leave and let everybody die? Or is there virtue in staying mm. and fighting anyway? Okay. And there's a lot of scenes like that. Wow. And like, a, like, hey, no, you do not get to stay and fight. We're leaving. Like, actually, we're, we're using these civilians as bait. Wow. So that we can live. So that we can put our plan together and actually the human race can survive. Okay. And there are people that are upset about that and there are people that are not upset about that. Hmm. There are some people that disobey the government's orders and go into hiding. And then the government finds out and it's like, well, we're going to try and kill you because you abandoned, you abandoned us. Wow. It's not an American government, by the way. It's a very uh, Eastern communal, controlly communal government. Yeah. A lot of marks on it. And yeah. Stuff. Very clear marks on it. <laughs> okay. There um, we go. <laughs> that was good. So it's those okay, types. Like think, thinking through the anthropo, but then also Tim, Tim brought up this idea of hope. And it's like, what is the hope? You know, well, like in, in the hope for humanity in this book is like, well, we can kind of ditch our modern lives, go back to our roots and pull ourselves up by the bootstraps, you know, but there's mm. like the hope is to use, you know, if we talk about pagans and Christians by mm-hmm. Smith, the hope is very imminent. Like it's us, it's, it's human spirit. Mm-hmm. We're the solution. Okay. And it's not like there's no one in control out there. It's so like, where, where is there any sense of a transcendent mm. God? Okay. Yeah. There isn't. Yeah, and without one, then it's just me, and it's just us. And it's, it's interesting that you, you mm. take you take a transcendent God out of the picture. This goes back to your question, Andy. Mm-hmm. Where do where do we get this type of stuff? This is Greek mythology. It's paganism. And the moment you stop focusing on truth that is up there, and your truth is your conscience in imminent physical domain, this just just comes out of everywhere. Because what what we know is true of humanity is that we're broken and sinful, mm. and that there are occult things that are real, demons are real, mm-hmm. and human humans know it and suppress it. But then there's this like, when all you focus on is humanity, it shouldn't surprise us that very pagany things come out. Okay. Um, but that being said, um, I think the way he tells a story is very meritorious. Like, it's okay. it's it's not just like let me tell you a story about blood and guts and gore. The way he the way he progresses is actually interesting to me. Uh, so it surprised me how it kind of drew me into it, the way he's telling the story. Um, and there are virtuous characters, I think, a few exalted throughout the story. But why they're exalted, and you know, it's like, it's, it's interesting. It's interesting to think through. So as I would go through each of those chapters, I would look at the people that the, so the, the author, the one doing the reporting, He's interviewing all these people. Look at each of those people separately and think through, like, from their account, what are they telling you they believe about the world and humanity and hope? And it's kind of like in The Great Divorce where you have all these separate conversations that kind of get kind of at the big point, but they're all separately different from each other. You could do that here, too. You could look at each of the chapters as a distinct thing. So there, I'll I'll be done. That was way longer than I thought it would be. But World War Z. Okay. Book out of left field, number one. Number one.
Right. That was a good discussion, though. Yeah. I think that yeah. was really helpful for people. I liked it. All right, so I'm doing the devotional, and I'm in Exodus, Exodus chapter 2. We're going to talk about uh, a person who was drawn out of the water, and that's what his name uh, becomes, Mr. Drawn Out of the Water. Who am I talking about? Moesis. Moesis. Moshe. Moshe, sorry. I was using the Greek so, pronunciation. I know, I know you were using the Greek. <laughs> All right, so I'm Exodus chapter 2 and verse 1, and a man of the house of Levi went, took as a wife a daughter of Levi, the woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a beautiful child, she hid him three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she took an ark of bulrushes for him, daubed it with asphalt and pitch, put the child in it, and laid it in the reeds by the river's bank. And his sister stood far off to know what would be done to him. And as you remember the story, the daughter of Pharaoh came by, she finds him, and pulls the child out of the river, recognizing he's a child of the Hebrews, uh, she calls a nurse, and his own mother ends up being the one taking care of him. And Pharaoh's daughter pays his own mother to provide for him. In verse 10, it states, And the child grew, and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. So she called his name Moses, saying, Because I drew him out of the water. Now, names are really important in the Old Testament. When you're working through an Old Testament passage, you need to take note of the names and the people named and who's not named. In fact, in Exodus chapter 1, there's this certain king. And he's identified in chapter 1 and verse 8 as a new king over, e over Egypt. He's the new king. Now, who is that king? Do you think they didn't know what his name was? Does anybody know his name? Do we know no. who it was? There's, I know there's theories and the yeah. critical scholars. I have a couple of thing. books I'd go and look at to, <laughs> to yeah. verify that. Then in verse 15, it says, Then the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives. And some believe this is actually a different king than the king mentioned in verse 8. But neither of these kings' names are mentioned. But they were the kings. They were the pharaohs. They were the most important, the most prominent, the most powerful individuals. But their names are not there. And they're not there for a reason. Why do you think the names are not there? I mean, generally, when you're not named in Scripture, like the guy who wouldn't redeem Ruth, he's just Mr. No-Name. That's sort of a bad thing. And you want your name to live on. So I would I would go in that direction, but maybe that's not it. That's exactly right. These guys were bad. And so guess what's omitted? Their names. In fact, at the end of Ruth, of Ruth <laughs> Exodus, Sorry about that. Exodus chapter 1, we have these two, these two midwives. And um, guess what? They disobey the king, you know, they save the children. Hmm. And they have names. names. <laughs> okay, so it's really important to pay attention to Hebrew text, you know, who's named, who's not named. Then Moses' is name, I mean, that's a whole point in like a great application and something to study through for yourself um, in Exodus chapter 1. And maybe we'll come back to it on the podcast sometime. But today, Exodus 2, Moshe. Moses, Mr. Drawn Out of the Water. That's a pretty dumb name. What does that communicate? Why is he named Moshe? Why Moses? Why Why are you named Mr. Drawn Out of the Water? Have we talked about this? Have I talked to this about? No, in fact, I've, I always wonder, like, how do they name people in the Old Testament when, it, you know, situations like that? Yeah. So I, I, I don't know. I probably could pull something out from can you, seminary. Can you break but... down why his name means that, Tim? Break it down. It means to be drawn out of the water. To be drawn from? like well, Yeah, is, drawn out the from word. the water. Okay, that's just the root of his name. Mm -hmm. What's the what's the root? 
Masha. It's not a word that you're going to know. Is it a, a mem, a sheen, mem, sheen, and, an and a hey? Hey. Uh-huh. Moshe. Okay. I should have it turn. I should have it pulled up in front of me, but I don't. Wait, wait, wait. What about this? So Moses is supposed to be a child who's supposed to die of exposure, but they save him, and then when they can't, they put him in the water, and he gets saved. Is it because like there's something about him? God's going to pull this his is own Old people Testament out. Testament baptism. Oh, <laughs> stop it! Wow, it's so bad. Were you making hey. a serious comment? Yeah, it was. Oh, me too. <laughs> <laughs> baptism doesn't save you. I'm sorry. Go you're, ahead. You're getting close. Is I it? Think. Is that part of it? Because like I'm, I'm thinking of the future Red Sea. And I'm thinking, oh, no. uh, but I'm just thinking like he's going to use Moses to save his people out of Egypt. Okay. So he's going to use Moses to save his people out of Egypt. Now, how can God go about doing that? God normally works sovereignly through the natural affairs of man and using faithful individuals to accomplish his tasks. So what was potentially maybe God doing? Hmm. A sovereign God allows the Hebrew child to be drawn out of the water. So what's the significance of Mr. Moshe, of Mr. Moses? He's the guy that's drawn out of the water by Pharaoh's daughter. Who put Moses into the kingly court? What did Moses do to get placed into that position of power and authority? Oh, he did nothing. He was... Yeah. He was born. He was picked. Drawn out of the water. <laughs> yeah, he was picked. That's the only reason. <laughs> he was simply drawn out of the water. That's all he is. Who is hmm. this guy? Drawn out of the water. He's drawn out of the water. That's all he is. <laughs> he has nothing to do with it at all. So then the text continues in Exodus chapter 2 as Mr. Drawn Out of the Water grows up. And uh, he sees these two Hebrew men fighting. You're familiar with this scene. So they're beating each other up. And, uh, I'm sorry. Um, let's see here. Uh, let's go. Let's, let me just read the text. Verse 11, chapter two, verse 11, right after he's named. Now it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown, that he went out to his brethren and looked at their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. So he looked this way and that way. And he looked and he saw that no one, and he saw no one. So he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. Now, of course, we've probably heard sermons about this, how Moses was usurping God's plan and killing this guy. Um, what does the narrator have to say about Moses killing this Egyptian? Well, he doesn't really comment on it, except for the fact that the next day, the Egyptians think he's going to do the same thing, to, or the, the Israelites mm -hmm. think he's going to do the same thing to them. So now think through this. I'm going to keep reading now. Verse 13, and when he went out the second day, behold, two Hebrew men were fighting. He said to the one who did the wrong, why are you striking your companion? Okay, now what has the Hebrew narrative done here in Exodus chapter 2? It's no longer just the narrator giving the series of events. It's slowed down. We're getting the actual discourse. What is the narrator focusing on in this narrative? Is it the murdering of the Egyptian? No. It's focusing oh. on the discourse between these Hebrew men. And what are they saying here? So let's go back to verse 13. And when he went out the second day, behold, two Hebrew men were fighting. And he said to the one who did the wrong, why are you striking your companion? Then he said, who made you a prince and a judge over us? By the way, what's the answer to that question? Well, God. God. God Do you understand him out. That? Yeah, that's interesting. who is he? Mm. He's Mr. Drawn out of the water. Yep. 
Interesting. Who make you a prince and a judge over us? Do you intend to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? So Moses, Moses feared and said, Surely this thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of this matter, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian, and he went down, and he sat down by a well. So now he's in Midian, and he meets Zipporah and everybody. Yeah. Just make a quick comment. Yeah. What we just did right there, by the way, if you aren't following Hebrew narrative, you know, it's a lot of this happened, this happened, this happened, this happened, this happened, this happened, this happened. It's a lot of like third person statements. God said, Moses went, you know, whatever. Uh, but the narr the, the author slows down to give you direct speech. So that's that's why we're discerning that there's an emphasis being made. Mm -hmm. It's like the first interchange with the Egyptians, guess what there isn't? There isn't a slowing down of a of of a communication. Mm -hmm. There's no direct speech. But then you get to the next one and what do we 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 come right to the scene and mm -hmm. we stop right. and you're mm -hmm. there listening to the to discourse. Moses, what are you doing? Well, who made you a prince? Like you're, right. you're in the scene. Hmm. That's the point of the narrative. So when you try to walk through an Old Testament narrative and you're like, what's the point of this? One of the ways the author points out what his point is, is when he slows down. Exactly. Just, just wanted to make that really clear good. for yeah. whoever's listening. Yeah, that's awesome. And I learned that in my Hebrew exegesis class with Dr. Little over here. So. <laughs> now, um, when you think through what is the main idea, what is the author really driving at? What's the theological point that he's establishing in this passage? Well, Moses is just Mr. Drawn out of the water. And he has been placed in a position of authority and power over the Jewish people. And some might say that he's even trying to deliver them and to start to help them in their peril, in their distress. And, but they're not exactly, shall we say, submissive to his authority? Yeah, and they're the, not. And the narrator focuses on that point because this man fails to submit to what, uh, or fails to, you know, he's like, well, who made you a prince and a judge over us? Now, in Acts chapter 7, I know I'm going to the New Testament here, but in Acts chapter 7, we have... Tim, you don't have to apologize. That's okay. We have this discussion from Stephen, and Stephen gives basically a history of the Jewish people. And in that history, he shares multiple times when the Jewish people were rebellious against God's divinely uh, appointed authorities. And guess what he uses as an illustration? Moses. So Acts chapter 7 in verse 17. But when the time of the promise drew near, which God had sworn to Abraham, the people grew and multiplied in Egypt, till another king arose who did not know Joseph. This man dealt treacherously with our people and oppressed our forefathers, making them expose their babies so that they might not live. At this time, Moses was born and was well-pleasing to God. Mm. Hmm. And he was brought up in his father's house for three months. But when he set out... Pharaoh's daughter took him away and brought him up as her own son. And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in word and deeds. Now when he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit the brethren of the children of Israel. And seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended and avenged him who has oppressed and struck down the Egyptian. Now does Stephen paint that positively or negatively? Well, not negatively. Not negatively, all right? So I know we're going kind of long. But it's not negative. I don't, I mean, everybody makes a big deal about Moses killing the Egyptian. The text doesn't really chastise him for that. So anyway, we'll leave that there. Now, verse 25, though, what does Stephen focus on? For he supposed that his brethren would have understood that God yeah. would deliver them huh. by his hand. Hmm. But they did not understand 
And the next day he appeared to two of them as they were fighting and tried to reconcile them, saying, Men, your brethren, why do you do one another wrong? But he who did his neighbor wrong pushed him away, saying, Who made you a ruler and judge over us? Do you want to kill me today as you did the Egyptian yesterday? Then at this saying, Moses fled and became a dweller in Midian, in the land of Midian, where he had two sons. What was it that the Jewish people, the man there, had done? He had rebelled against God's divinely appointed authority, a person whom God had put into that position of authority, Mr. Drawn out of the water. And as you look at the authorities that God's placed in your life, guess who put those authorities in Mm. your life? God did. And whether they're a good authority or a bad authority, I would encourage you to think through any kind of rebellion against those authorities. God put those authorities there, and I would encourage you to submit to them. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Thinklings Podcast. We would love to hear from you. If you have any feedback, suggestions, or potential topics that you'd like us to discuss, you can contact us through our email, thinklingspodcast at gmail.com. Remember, don't let this conversation end with this podcast. Read good books, talk about them with your friends, and always continue to cultivate your mind. See you next time on the Thinklings Podcast.